Yes, I love it. Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. You awake? Come on, this cool weather got you fired up. Let's stand this morning. Our feet are on the rock, amen? Let's sing about it. Let the waters come and let the earth give whatever it has and whatever life has throwing it our ways. We, because of Jesus, live in celebration and in full confidence because of what our Lord has done. Amen? We have a firm foundation and today we celebrate that this morning. So who's with me this morning? <laughs> 
Give give the Lord a round of applause. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see you guys. We have been praying for you all week long because we believe that God is going to work and move in this place today in a way that we probably are not going to expect. And that's what we hope for because as the body of Christ, we need to grow. We need to be stretched. And we need to really be strengthened in in the way that God wants us to do. So, God, I've been praying for you in that way this week that God just works in a mighty way. Um, And I hope that you come expecting. I hope you come expecting that God is going to do something incredible today. But it is great to see you guys, um, and I hope and pray that uh, God works in a really, really marvelous way. It's good to see you guys. Um, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. One, if you are a guest, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. We love our church. We love our people, um, and we believe that this place is one of the best places to be. So we have a lot going on, and Brother Will has a whole bunch of stuff he's going to list off at the end of services, all the announcements. But if you are a guest, we want to get to know you and your family and share with you uh, a little bit about our church and where you can plug in. So right after service, meet me and a couple other people right out these back doors. We can uh, show you what's going on at Kavanaugh Church, what, where you guys can plug in, that kind of thing. And then also, um, for everyone else uh, who is here at Kavanaugh, uh, we, again, we have a lot going on. And one of the ways that you can know about everything is signing up for our Week at Kavanaugh newsletter. And you can do that by going to the website, KavanaughChurch.com, or... Uh, to make it a lot easier for you, go out these back doors. There's these iPads back there. The page is already opened up. All you got to do is drop your n- email in, um, and you're signed up, and it will be dropped in your inbox tomorrow morning first thing. So, you all good? You all ready to continue to worship? Before we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to ask God's anointing on our services today. Great to see you all. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and again, I'm so thankful that you've brought us back here into this place, God. And Lord, um, as we continue to pray and as we are hopeful for that you're just, your spirit moves today and that you enlighten us and you embolden us to be the people that you want us to be, stretch us um, and, and strengthen us. And as Brother Will brings the word today, God, help us to adjust our focus to you um, and, and to chase after you and the promises that you have given us, God. We love you so much. Continue to fill us today in your name. Amen. Before we continue to sing, greet those around you, and we're going to get right back into it.
yesterday when I went in in darkness and I was called out into light. I thank God for that. And this next song that we're singing is familiar to most of you. It's entitled Our God Saves. And it truly is just a testimony. If you are a believer, it is a testimony of the power of transformation that God has done in our lives. And He is still powerful and He is still working. And our God still saves. So let's sing this song as a declaration to him this morning, our God says.
thankful for each and every person that is here today. And I pray, God, that if there's any one person here, God, that needs you to come into their lives and to change them so that what they see and what they seek is completely different and new and that they're made new and that we could take that and we could carry on and move throughout the week. And I pray, God, that as Brother Will comes before us today, that we would hear what it is you would have us to hear, that we would see what you would have us to see, and that, God, we would seek what you want us to seek, that we could be the best every day in what we do and how we move and how we speak and how we work and how we just represent you, God. I just pray that if any of us need a change, that it would happen today. And I'm so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have that free gift of eternal life and salvation so that we can enter in with you. And it's these things, Jesus, in your name that I pray and I thank you. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Give them a big hand. That was awesome, man. That was fantastic. Good to see you this morning on this chilly November the 13th morning. Wow, can you believe it's already November, huh? Middle of November. Christmas is right around the corner. But you know what? Before then, we have Thanksgiving, and we don't want to bypass giving thanks to God. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for all you do. If you've been with us the last uh, seven weeks, we've been preaching on our core values. We've also been talking about these core values in our C groups. Those come to a conclusion after this week. We're going to take a short break through the holidays. And then at the beginning of 2023, we will begin a new study in our C groups. But today, I want to talk to you about our last core value. If you walk out either one of these doors, you will find our seven core values hanging on the wall over there. I like to say, if you cut our church open, we would bleed our core values. And I've been looking forward to this seventh and final core value for eight weeks now, not because it's the end, but because I think it's one of the best. Core value number seven, excellence. We give God our best. Whether it's here at church, whether it's in our home, or where we work, we give God our best. There's one verse I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 3. It's kind of like our home plate verse. We're going to look at several other passages from the Bible, but this is the one we'll keep coming back to. Here's what Paul says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever it is, whatever work you do, Put your whole heart and soul into it, as into work done for God, and not merely for men, knowing that your real reward, a heavenly one, is going to come from God himself, since you are actually employed by Christ and not just by your earthly boss or your earthly master. So, look at me, you don't work for the man you work for the man, all right? 
And so everything we do, no matter what it is, no matter what job we're doing, again, whether it be at home or in church or at your place of employment, you are to do it with all of your heart and with all of your soul because you're doing it for God. And you know what? We give God our best. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would do that this morning, give you our best. I pray, dear Lord, that we would submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, lay it all on the altar today, and give you all that we have. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The age in which we live in right now is the age of mm, good enough, the age of mediocrity. I've been working practically all my life. My first job was when I was four years old. <laughs> Not really. I was six years old, and I had a paper route. But you know what? I've worked my entire life. I'll never forget, I was working at a, at a, a supermarket, uh, unloading trucks and stocking things, and there was an old guy who worked there, and he would also always say, he'd always say, that's good enough for government work. And, and I was just a teenager. I, was, I didn't even have a driver's license yet. And I didn't know these terms. And I, I had no idea what he was talking about. And I wasn't going to ask him. But you know what? It didn't take me long to figure out what that's good enough for government work is. Do, do you, have you all heard that phrase? You know what it is? Yeah, mediocrity. Yeah, it's just good enough. It's just good enough. You all know that phrase. Oh, it's good enough. Don't worry about it. It's good enough. It's just good enough. Those words are cuss words around here. Ask Miss Angie. We don't believe in it's just good enough, do we? Because we're doing it for the Lord, and the Lord deserves the very best we have. So when the rest of the world is saying, well, that's good enough, that's why we as Christians need to live lives of excellence. The Bible says Christians of all people ought to do their very best in everything that we do. We ought to set the standards for excellence. We ought to be the example for the entire world on how to live with excellence. Now, one of the best examples of excellence in the Bible is found in the Old Testament, the story of Daniel. In fact, let me read a verse to you, Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. It says that Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. What an amazing verse. This is such a fascinating story. Here Daniel was just a teenage boy. His homeland was invaded. He, he was sent away as a prisoner of war and taken into a foreign country. Yet in a matter of months, he was rocketing to the top. Why? Because you can't keep a good man down. And Daniel was a good man. Here he was, a teenager in a foreign country, and he rises to a place of prominence where he is second in command over the entire nation. You might say, well, why? How in the world could that be? Well, it was because Daniel was a man of character. Daniel was a man of integrity. 
Daniel was a man of excellence. Everything he did, it didn't matter what it was or where he was at, he put his entire heart and soul into it. He gave it his best. Uh, the other night, Friday night, we were waiting on Zane to get home. He had left Dallas. It was rainy, so we were staying up, waiting for him, praying for him. And I was sitting there in my chair with little JoJo in my lap. I haven't told you about JoJo lately, have I? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait and tell you that later. Smartest dog I've ever had, that's for sure. We were watching TV together, and I was flipping through the channels, and I came across ESPN. It was supposed to be a 30 for 30, but it actually wasn't a 30 for 30. It was one of those of football life stories. And I thought, oh, this might be good. And as I watched it, Gary, it was good. Roger Staubach. Now, if, if you're a kid growing up in the 70s, anybody out there a kid growing up in the 70s, all right, and you lived in Texas, eh, there you go, you were a Dallas Cowboy fan, and your hero was number 12, Captain America. Really, that was his nickname, Captain America, Roger the Dodger Staubach. And this show was all about Roger the Dodger Staubach and, and how he was a man of character and a man of integrity and a man with passion, whether it was playing sports or whether it was a, a business life. He, he was going to give it his all, 100%. I learned so much about Roger. I loved it, Jason. It was, it was a great show, man. He grew up a little Catholic boy, went to a, a Catholic junior high and high school, and he was running down the field one day, eighth grade, quarterback. He was running for a touchdown. Nobody was around him, and he happened to glance off to the side on the sideline. One of the cheerleaders was running alongside of him, rooting for him. And he said, when I saw her, I knew I was going to marry her. <laughs> He's in the eighth grade. They dated all through junior high and high school. They got married, had five kids four girls and a boy, and they were interviewing Roger's children, and his children were talking about growing up in the Staubach house and how competitive everything was, but you had to do it to the best of your ability. No mediocrity in that family. No, it's good enough. No, you had to give it 100%. Daddy made sure of that because that's the way Daddy lived his life, 100%. Whether it's running his corporation or playing football or shooting free throws with Troy Aikman. Roger's going to do his best. He's going to give it 100%. By the way, let me just tell you one more story. Have you ever heard the, the term Hail Mary? You thought Hail Mary's a prayer. Well, it, it's a Catholic prayer. But it was Roger Staubach who coined the phrase Hail Mary, when you're talking about the long bomb pass. Did y'all know that? December 28, 1975, Cowboys were playing the Minnesota Vikings in a championship game. Angie's team, the Vikings, she was in love with their quarterback. Francis Tarkington. Really? Francis Anyway, this championship game, Dallas was getting beat. It's coming down to the end of the game. They're on the 50-yard line. And in the huddle, Roger the Dodger, Captain America, says to number 88, anybody know that number? Drew Pearson. 
He said, Drew, do you remember last year on Thanksgiving, you ran down the left side of the field. I threw the long bomb to you. You caught it for a touchdown. Drew said, yeah. Roger said, do the same thing on the right side this year. Literally, he said that to him. So they hiked the ball. Drew Pearson took off down the right sideline. Roger dodged around a little bit through this high arcing pass. It went 45 yards. Dad, do you remember this? Drew Pearson kind of hesitated, stopped, came back, caught the ball between two defenders, and trotted into the end zone. The Cowboys win! After the game, a reporter asked Roger, what were you thinking when you threw that long bomb? He said, well, I threw the pass, I closed my eyes, and I said a Hail Mary. (laughs) That is a prayer, a Hail Mary. And you know what? The little phrase caught, a Hail Mary pass in Dallas 1. The whole show was about this man of incredible integrity and character who did everything to perfection. Such a great husband, such a great father, such a great leader, such a great businessman. And the guy that was doing the program that was talking said, this is usually the time that we would let the skeletons out of the closet. Because nobody can be this great. Everybody's got skeletons in their closet. Except for Roger Staubach. He said, literally, there are no skeletons in this man's closet. He truly is a man of character, a man of integrity, a man of excellence, a man who does everything to the best of his ability. And I came out of my chair saying, yeah. That's the way we need to be. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to do our very best because we're doing it for the Lord. So today I want to talk to you about three qualities of how you can excel no matter what you're doing. These are qualities God wants you to build into your life no matter what job you have. These are qualities that are a profile of the type of person that gets promoted Daniel chapter 6, you want to be that person that gets promoted, don't you? I tell you what, in the first service, they were much more excited about excellence than we're letting on to be. You want to be promoted, don't you? You need to put these three things into practice. Number one, people who excel work with, say that word with me, enthusiasm. I'm going to go back to our key verse, Colossians 3.23. I'm reading out of J.B. Phillips' translation. It says, whatever your task is, whatever it is you do, put your whole heart and soul into it as working for the Lord and not merely for men. Put your whole heart and soul into it. What he's talking about there is enthusiasm, being excited, people who excel in life. People who live with excellence have a click in their heel. There is a gleam in their eye. They live in a different time zone than most of us live in. They live with enthusiasm. Emerson once said, nothing great was ever done without enthusiasm. I say amen to that. This verse says, whatever you do, whatever it is you're doing, doesn't matter, whatever you do, big task, little task, at home, at work, in the church, whether you think it's significant or not, you ought to work at it 
with enthusiasm. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, with all of your soul as working for the Lord and not as working for men. He's talking about being enthusiastic. In show business, they say there are no small parts, only small actors. Great performers performers give maximum effort no matter the size of the part that they have. They're giving it their all. They're doing the best they can. Shake your head if you're with me. Are you getting it? I mean, if, if, if you're going to do it the best, you're going to have to have enthusiasm. Get up in the morning and say, instead of saying, oh, Lord, it's morning. Say, no, Lord, hey, let's go do it. I'm on your team today. I can't wait to see what you have for me, and I'm going to give it all I have, Lord. The opposite of that is found in Proverbs 10, 26. I love this verse, Proverbs 10, 26. A lazy fellow is a pain to his employers like smoke in their eyes or vinegar that sets their teeth on edge. That's really in the Bible right there. A lazy fellow. A lazy person. They're opposite of this person who has enthusiasm. Is it irritating to you to be around lazy people? Here's what the Bible says. It, it is irritating. It's like getting smoke in your eyes. That's irritating. It's like taking a swig of vinegar. It sets your teeth on edge. Lazy people are irritating to be around. Kind of like the guy who is taking a, a, a poll on the street corner. You, you've seen people do that. They, <clears throat> they stop people and ask them questions. This guy was taking a poll and he said to this other fellow, in America the, the two greatest problems are ignorance and apathy. What do you think about that? To which the other guy said, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) Can I tell you something? If if you don't have enthusiasm for your work, you're never going to excel at what you're doing. Back in the, uh, I guess it was, when was this? Early, Early 80s, Angie and I got married. And we moved to Fort Worth, Texas. I went to seminary and I was pastoring the Western Hills Free Will Baptist Church way out on the west side of uh, of Fort Worth. Across the interstate was this little community called White Settlement. And so most of my parishioners came from White Settlement. There was a lady who lived there. Her husband and and their kids came to our church. And I'll never forget the Sunday she came in and said, oh, preacher, do, do I have a story for you? And I said, well, well, tell me your story. They had just built this brand new Walmart. Again, this is the early 80s. Brand new Walmart and White Settlement. Supposedly, it was the largest Walmart in the state of Texas at that time. Employed all kinds of hundreds of people. She was an assistant manager at this new Walmart store. And she said one night, just this past week, uh, a little girl was at the cash register checking people out. And this, this older man came through her line and uh, he said to her, well, how are you today? And uh, he, ju- he just got, she vomited on him, literally. She said, oh, it's, it's a horrible day. I've uh, had all these problems happen to me. And he says, well, well, how's work here? Do you enjoy working here? She said, no, I hate it. It's the only job I could find, but I, I'm just ready to move on and get another job. I'm, I'm ready to get off. I'm ready to go home. I, I don't like this job. don't like working here. 
He said, well, young lady, I think I can help you with all that. Come with me. And so he trotted her off to the manager's office, and when they got in there, he fired her. You see, he had the ability to do that because his name was Sam. Walton, owner of Walmart and Sam's. And back in those days, he would do that thing. He would go to stores, talk to employees, go through checkout lines just to see the, the atmosphere, the feeling that these employees gave him. And he just fired her on the spot because she was the opposite of someone who had enthusiasm. You know what? We need Sam to come back to life and show up. Wait, we don't even have people who check us out anymore, do we? If you, Good luck griping at that person who checks you out, right? Here, here's the bottom line. God wants you to be the best you can be at whatever you do. Because when you're being the best you can be, you're letting your light shine for Him. So whatever you do, do it with all your heart, with all your soul. Do it with enthusiasm. Number two, people who excel keep their word. They're dependable. They're reliable. They're trustworthy. They're responsible. Did you know that people like that that I've just described are very rare? It's rare to find someone who is so dependable. People you can count on. I love Proverbs 20, verse 6. I'm reading it out of the Good News Translation. Here's what it says. Everyone talks about how loyal and faithful he is. But just try to find someone who really is. I mean, everybody's doing it. Everybody's talking about it. But really, try to find someone who is truly trustworthy. It's rare to find somebody that you can count on. People of excellence, however, work enthusiastically and they keep their word. How many of you have ever been to Yellowstone to see Old Faithful? Raise your hand if you've ever been to see Old Faithful. Really, I, I need to talk to you all after, after church. My, as, a, as a kid, my, 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 my dream was to go to Yellowstone National Park. And every time I went over to my granddaddy Whitmire's, I'd, I'd sit in that chair next to him and say, Granddad, take me to Yellowstone. He said, we will, son, we will. Someday we'll go to Yellowstone. We never got to go. I'm playing my little violin. But I still want to go. Maybe I'll take my grandkids without their parents. That'd be fun. I, I really do. I, I want to see. I want to see Old Faithful. Y'all know Old Faithful, don't you? you did, did you know that Old Faithful is not the most beautiful geyser in the world? It's not the prettiest. It's not even the highest geyser. So how in the world do we know Old Faithful? Why is it so popular? Because it's dependable. It's regular. It's reliable. It's like clockwork. That's what it's known for, and that's why we know it. Reliability beats talent hands down in the long run. Are you with me? Zane, you know this. Remember this one from uh, Coach Phil Days. Hard work beats talent when talent don't work hard. Remember that? We still live by that, don't we? Hard work beats talent when talent don't work hard. 
And it's the same thing about reliability. Reliability beats talent hand down in the long run. Somebody might say, well, I don't have much talent. So what? Big deal. Be reliable. The greatest ability is dependability. When people know that what you say is going to be done, when you give your word and say, I'll do it and it'll be done by this time, and people know you and they know you're dependable and they know that you're reliable, I'm telling you what, you are miles ahead of the person who has talent but who is not dependable. People who excel work with enthusiasm and they keep their word. Check out Proverbs 25, 19, again out of the Good News Translation. Depending on an unreliable person in a crisis is like trying to chew with a loose tooth or walk on a crippled foot. I bet you didn't know that verse is in the Bible. It is. Write it down. Go home. Look it up. Good news translation. Depending on on an unreliable person in a crisis is like trying to chew with a loose tooth or walk on a crippled foot. Have you ever had to depend on somebody who's unreliable? Is is there somebody in your family like that that just absolutely drives you crazy? Maybe you are that person and you just don't know it. Somebody needs to tell you today that you're that person. Here's the deal. If you are an unreliable person or you hire unreliable people or you work with unreliable people, you know what you're doing to that business? You're handicapping that business. It's like trying to chew a big piece of steak with a loose tooth. Or it's like trying to walk up these steps and across this stage on a crippled foot. You're handicapping your work. Reliable people are very difficult to find. So when you become one, you are a rare exception. Reminds me of that uh, teenage boy walking down the street looking for a new job. He saw a sign that said, responsible young man wanted. And so he took down the sign, carried it into the business and said, I'm it. I'm the responsible person. They said, well, how do you know you're responsible? He said, because at my last job, every time there was a problem, they pointed to me and said, you're responsible. Uh, that's the best I have today, guys. That's it right there. So are you responsible in a good sense? People who excel in life keep their word. They keep their word. You can count on them. Then number three, people who excel do more than is expected of them. I'm going to take you to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says this in verse 41. If anybody forces you to go a mile with him, do more. So underline that, circle that, do more. Go two miles with him. Now, why did Jesus say that? And what is Jesus talking about? Well, in those days in the Roman Empire, any soldier of the Roman legion could by law require anyone to carry his gear or his armor for up to one mile. And so when these Roman soldiers would go through a little village or or a town or a city, they would be looking for someone that they could pick on, someone that they could say, you, carry my gear. 
So no matter who you were, if a Roman soldier said, pick up my gear and my armor and carry it, you were obligated by law to do that for one mile. Now, I I don't know how they could calculate when a mile was up because they don't have these watches like we have now, right? But at the end of the mile, all you had to do is lay their stuff down because you were out from under your obligation and they would have to find somebody else to carry it. And here's what Jesus is saying. When somebody comes up to you and makes a heavy demand on your life, like a soldier comes up and says, carry my stuff for a mile, I want you to blow their minds. I want you to surprise them. You get to the end of the mile and they start to take it back and you say, hey, no, 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 no problem here. I've carried it a mile, but, but I'm going to carry it another mile for you. I'm going to go the second mile. This is the principle of the second mile. The, the second mile principle is practiced, listen to me, it is practiced by every person in life who is excelling. Every person who lives an excellent life practices this principle of the second mile. Jesus says, as a Christian, we should do more than is expected of us. We should not just try to get by on the minimum. You've heard the phrase, the minimum daily requirement. You know, Jesus says we should go beyond the call of duty. We should put forth this extra effort. When something is required of us, we should actually go beyond those expectations. Why? Simply because we're a follower of Jesus and we do our best. We're not working for that person. We're working for the Lord. We're trying to bear a witness for him. So we're going to do more than is required. And church, I cannot tell you how different and radical that is from the way everybody else is living their life. The rest of the world says, get by on the absolute minimum possible. Do the minimum work for the maximum paycheck. Take your paycheck and cash it. Do the very minimum that is required. Use the cheapest products. I mean, use fake cheese on pizzas instead of real mozzarella. Man, y'all are hard. You're you're hard-nosed today, aren't you? What, What is Jesus saying? Do the exact opposite of the world. You do more than is expected. I think one of the best examples of this in the Bible, the whole Bible, is a story found in Genesis chapter 24. This is a story where Abraham is now an old man, and his son Isaac is, is, is ready for a bride, and so he doesn't want Isaac to marry one of the girls that lives there in the, in the, the Canaanite land, and so he takes his most faithful and trusted servant. And he says, I want you to make an oath to me. I want you to make a promise that you're going to go back to my homeland where I came from. And from my people, I want you to find a bride for my son Isaac. And and they went through this whole formality where the servant put his hand on the, the thigh of Abraham and swore an oath. And then the servant said to Abraham, well, what if I find the woman and she refuses to come? 
And Abraham says, you'll, you'll be free from the oath and the obligation. You just go and let the Lord work, and he'll find the right lady. And so he takes off. He's on this long journey. And as he is approaching the homeland of Abraham, he starts praying to the Lord because he realizes how difficult this task is going to be. I mean, just think about it. He's, he's going to go into a strange land, go up to a, a strange young woman he's never met before and said, I want you to come back and marry my master's son who you, you've never seen. Now, how crazy is that? And so he realizes the sheer impossibility of it, and so he starts praying to the Lord and says, Lord, I need your help. And he comes to the hometown of Abraham, and he's there by the well. Now, all the women would go to the well and draw water for their family, and so it was about the time that women would start coming to the well and, and get the water, and so he had this idea, and he, he prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, may the, the first young lady that comes to the well may I be able to ask her for a drink of water. And she not only give me a drink of water, she says to me, well, I'll fetch water for your camels. Lord, let her be the one. And about that time, he said, I looked and there she was, one of the most beautiful young ladies I've ever seen. Her name was Rebecca. She was coming with a jar on her shoulder to get water for her family. And so he said to her, May I have a drink of that cool water from the well? And she gave him a drink. And as he took the drink, she said to him, Oh, may I serve water to your camels? <laughs> okay, are you with me? Deal was he had 10 camels. Okay, this is where the story gets a little tricky. 10 camels. Guys, I researched this. A camel just a normal camel, after having traveled that distance, can drink from 20 to 30 gallons of water. Are you serious? So this camel, these 10 camels could drink up to 300 gallons of water. Can you imagine a guy coming up to a total stranger and saying to a young girl, can I have a drink? And then she say back to him, yes, here's a drink. And by the way, let me provide 300 gallons of water for your camels. That's not going the second mile. That's going the 300th mile, huh? You talk about character. This young lady had it. Church, listen to me. Can you imagine how our society would be transformed if every one of you started living that way? What, what would it be like at your job, at your work, if you did more than was expected of you? What, what about at home? What, what would happen at your house? How would your home be transformed if you did more than what they expected you to do? Whatever your role is. So for me, it's taking out the trash on Thursday. Literally, that's my job. <laughs> Angie, they didn't laugh. What if instead of just doing that, I did stuff like vacuum?
or, or clean the bathroom or, or learn how to put the seat down. Are you, are you getting it, guys? You teenagers, what would happen if you went back to your class on Monday after this long weekend and instead of just turning in your homework, you turned in extra work that you did? How in the world would that blow your teacher's mind? What a radical idea, and yet this is the key to excellence. You do more than is expected. If anybody says, hey, go a mile, you say, no, I'm going to go two miles. The end of Rebecca's story is interesting. She had no idea that this was a test. She had no idea that as a result of what she did, she would be marrying the second wealthiest man in the Middle East. She had no idea that she was about to become the mother of not only a nation, but the nation of Almighty God. But because Rebecca gave more than was asked of her, she received more than she expected. Can I just tell you, that's a principle of life. The Bible says, according to the measure you give out in life, it will be given back to you. And I just said this a couple of weeks ago. You can't outgive God. I double dog dare you to try. You, you can't do it, man. And that's not only true in your own personal life, in tithing. The more I give, the more God blesses. I, I can't outgive God. It's not only true in my personal life, it's true also in my business and where I work. Some of you own your own companies, others of you work for companies, and you have told me stories of what has happened at your place of employment, your work, your business. And for the businesses that gives out and ministers to other people and is more than fair with people and with customers and goes beyond the level of normal quality and, and sets this standard of excellence that most places of employment don't set, God blesses that business. I know it's true because you've told me in your own business, it's true that when we give and when we do and when we're good to our customers and when we set this standard of excellence, God blesses it. Why? Because you can't outgive God. So let me at the conclusion of my sermon define excellence. What is excellence? It's nothing more than this. Excellence is doing the best you can for the glory of God. You give it your best for the glory of God. As a result, you cannot help but receive back. When you're giving it your best, God makes sure you get a little bit of good back. The golden rule applies today. I recently, in fact, it was this past week, I read a story from Oscar Hammerstein. Y'all know that name? Rogers and Hammerstein, all the, back in the, I don't know, 40s, 50s, all the music that came on, anybody know Roger Hammerstein? He had seen this picture of a photograph of the top of the Statue of Liberty's head from a helicopter. Somebody in a helicopter took this picture. Now, what was unusual about it is that it was the picture of the back of her head. He said the picture revealed the intricate detail that had been sculptured on Lady Liberty's head, her hair and her crown. 
and all those things that are at an angle that no one has ever seen before. Intricate, painstaking detail. And here's what Hammerstein said. I got to thinking that sculptor must have realized that no one would see the top of the Statue of Liberty's head once it is in place. In fact, it is technically impossible to see the back of her head. But he spent the same kind of detail and care and painstaking craftsmanship on the top of Lady Liberty's head as he did on her feet and everything else that would be seen by everyone. Little did this sculptor know that someday somebody would take a picture of it so the world could see. So, when you're tempted to cut corners at work and not do your best and slack off and you think ain't nobody ever going to know, they may not. You might fool your boss, you might fool your customers, you might fool the other people who work with you, you might think, you know, I can get by without putting out 100% because ain't nobody else around here putting out 100% and I can just slide in with the masses of people. You may think nobody's ever going to see, but that's where you're wrong. There is someone up above who can see the quality of your work, and his name is God. The Bible says, get this, the Bible says one day God is going to do a quality control check on your business, on your life, on your work. Regardless of what it is you do, God's going to evaluate it. That is why Colossians 3 says, you're to do it as unto working for the Lord. Because he's the only one who really counts. And there will be this final examination. You don't believe me, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the last verse we're going to look at today, verses 13 through 15. Again, I'm reading it out of the Good News Translation. The quality of each man's work will be seen when the day of Christ exposes it. For that day's fire will reveal every man's work. The fire will test it and show its real quality. If it survives, he will receive a reward. But if it burns up, he will lose it but he himself will be saved. Now, would you agree with me? That's a pretty tough scripture right there. What, what in the world is Paul talking about? Well, I'm glad he put that last phrase in there when, when he said, he himself will be saved. Because he, he is not talking about salvation in this passage. He's not talking about testing whether you're a believer or not. That, that's all based on faith in Christ alone. That's how you're saved. You're not saved through works. You're saved through faith in grace alone. What he's talking about here is what you do in life, the quality of your work. Is what you do quality work? Was there excellence in the work that you have done? 
in whatever you did, were you giving it 100%? Were you doing the best you could do? Or was it with the attitude, oh, it's just good enough, haphazard, partially done? One day, somebody from above is going to call us into an account. Hmm. Anybody want to say wow with me? Wow. That, that certainly changes my perspective on literally every single thing I do in my life. Now, you know, I, I work here at the church, and this is our philosophy here at church. If we're going to, listen, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it the best we can do it, or we just ain't going to do it. God deserves our best. And so if we can't do it to the best of our ability, we're we're, going to move on and do something that we can do because God deserves the best we have. That's where where I work. But you know what? My dad worked at Southwestern Bell. And then he worked for AT&T. And and I know my dad. I know the way he is. He, He did the very best he could because he was doing it unto the Lord. That was his job where he made money. But you know what? He did the best he could do. He gave it his all. He gave it 100%. And that's what all of us are to do. No matter where it is we work, no matter what it is we're doing, we are to give it all that we have. Let me tell you what. Quality is never an accident. Quality is always intentional. It's always planned. So listen to me. Are you listening? If you are a homemaker, you be the very best homemaker you can be. If you're a truck driver, be the best truck driver you can be. If you're an attorney, be the best attorney you can be. If you're a waitress, be the best you can be. If you're a clerk, be the best you can be. If you're a secretary, be the best you can be. And if you are president, please, please be the best you can be. (laughs) Because there's somebody who's going to evaluate it all from a different perspective, from heaven. One of my dreams, one of my dreams is that the people of Kavanaugh, if you are a people of Kavanaugh, raise your hand. If you're a people, raise your hand if you're in here, okay? You're a people of Kavanaugh. One of my dreams is that the people of Kavanaugh, our church, our family, would would work out in the world with such quality and such a standard of excellence that we have a reputation for that. You know what I mean? So if you were to go out and apply for a job and on your resume write, I attend Kavanaugh Church, and they read that, that they would immediately hire you. Oh, you you go to Kavanaugh Church? What, you're hired? Now, why would they do that? Because they would know that this church produces quality people, people who are honest, people who keep their word, people who are positive. They're enthusiastic. They do more than is expected. They're Roger Staubach. (laughs) Captain America. And they look at you and say, you you go to Kavanaugh? You're hired. What a testimony. 
right? But isn't that the way it's supposed to be? That is letting your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Can I tell you something? I, I wrote this sermon this past week, and about as I was working on it, about every 30 minutes I had to come in here and get on my knees and repent. Because let me tell you, sometimes I'm, I, I catch myself, I'm not giving it all I got. I'm not doing the best I can. I'm, I'm swallowing the philosophy of this world. It's good enough. Uh, you spent five hours on that sermon. That's good enough. Mm, no, it's not. Good enough is the absolute best I can do. Because look at me. I don't work for you. I work for him. And he sees it, and he knows it all. And if I'm going to do it, I settled this a long time. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to at least attempt to do it the very best I can. Now, I don't know where your standard of greatness is, and maybe I don't reach that standard, but I'm giving it all I got. Are you? I was thinking about it right before I came in here, and my thought is, you know, really, no matter where we are, if we're like right here, we need to be up here, man, because we can all get a little bit better, be more enthusiastic. Come on, team. Come on, team. We can all be a little more dependable. And we can all go the extra mile. So I got to thinking, you know what? Really, everybody needs to meet me down at the altar today. And we just lay it on the altar for the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I want to be the best and I want to give you the best. I want to be excellent for you. Heavenly Father, help us to make that commitment today. And if there's anyone in this room who's never accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior... I pray that today they would come and receive the free gift of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, may, may we do what the Word of God says. May we bring our life and lay it on the altar and hold nothing back for ourselves but give everything to you. Help us, dear Lord, to, to work and excel with enthusiasm, to be dependable, reliable, trustworthy. And help us, dear Lord, to learn the principle of the second mile. Help, help us to go that extra mile of excellence. Lord, bless this church. Help us to be a, a church of excellence who does the work of God with all we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, and as you stand, why don't you come and just join me at the altar as we give God everything today.
Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us and meeting with us today. Thank you for your word. I pray that uh, we would do the very best we can, no matter what it is we're doing. Help us to excel in enthusiasm, in dependability, and in going the second mile. Thank you, dear Lord, for our church and our people. Help us to be the best we can be for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. This past Friday, we celebrated Veterans Day here in the United States, and uh, I hope you thanked a veteran. We would like to thank our veterans who are in this room. So if you're in this room and you are a veteran, I would invite you to stand up so we can recognize you. Come on, veterans, stand up. There you go. Keep standing, both men and women all through the room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. But we also have something tangible for you. When you walk out these doors, if you were a person who just stood up, right against that far wall underneath our core values is a patriotic table. And on that table, we have thank you cards, handmade from our children at Kavanaugh Children's Center. Danny, thank you for having your kids do that, you and Kat. Thank you so much. And they're beautiful. I went through and, and looked at them and read them, and it's just thanking our veterans. And there's, there's a name on each card from the child who made that card. So isn't that great? I think it's wonderful. And so veterans, make sure you go to that table. Danny's gonna be over there and pick up one of those cards handmade just for you. And remember, we, we love you and we appreciate you. When you walk out the doors, drop your offering in one of those black boxes. Uh, we are giving now for Adopt a Missionary, which will take place in December on the 11th and 18th. We're adopting our Free Will Baptist Home Missionary children and giving them Christmas. So give accordingly. Uh, also, sign up for We Worship. Uh, we're needing new, fresh bodies for 2023, all right? And I, I just want to look at me. 
I just want to beg you and plead with you and ask you to sign up for We Worship. What a tremendous ministry just to spend one hour with our kids back there, maybe for a, a month, one month, one Sunday a month, or one Sunday a quarter, or if you can only do it one Sunday during the year, that's fine. Just, just give you, it, you'll be surprised at how much information you pick up on about the family of these little kids. That, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It really is interesting. Uh, sign up for that. Also, sign up for our ladies' Bible study. It's going to happen after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. Kind of a mini study that's a video study. You can sign up for that. C groups. Have y'all enjoyed C groups? Man, they've been awesome. This is the last week for C groups. We're going to take a break during the holidays, but after the first of the year, we'll kick uh, C groups off again. This Thursday, prime timers are having a luncheon at 11:30. Show up for that. Wednesday night, we got services for all age groups. And Nathan told me there's something big happening at Blaze this Wednesday night. So if you're a teenager, make sure you're back there for super. It's super worship and super prayer. So super, super. Are y'all ready to get out of here? Hey, go be the best you can be. All right, get out of here.